right. Um, before we jump in, uh, two, two things real fast. One, um, Franklin, uh, who's usually the guy that you see on the keys here, is not here today, um, nor will he be next week, and that's because him and his wife had a baby this past week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, beautiful little girl, Emery May. She's eight pounds, 20 ounces. Uh, heavy is what she is, and so I'm um, just well, light. That's very light. 20 ounces is not heavy at all. Uh, oh, 20 ounces, that's long. Sorry. Eight pounds is not heavy either. But um, So she's eight pounds and 20 ounces long. Help me, Lord, help me. Um, but man, she, she is... Uh, <laughs> um, summer is here, right? Um, so, uh, but Emery May is her name, and she is, doing, she is doing very, very good, and so is Lindsay. Um, and so just says he's doing all the stuff that or she's doing all the stuff that babies does, and he's doing all the stuff that dads are supposed to do, which I hope is changing a lot of diapers um, and letting mama sleep. So, um, but they are doing well. Continue to pray for them. Uh, and then the second thing is this. Um, we, we've had a two-month challenge kind of just to put out there uh, for us as a people. Um, as we'd gotten a $30,000 gift uh, to help pay down, and the challenge was to try to match that. And so uh, today is the first Sunday of June, and so far we, we've raised uh, or brought in $14,625 uh, has been deposited. So yeah, yeah. So we, um, halfway there, want to keep going. Um, and and we're, we're doing this to try to, again, get, get out of debt. Uh, we get out of debt and, and the, the possibilities and the opportunities that we'll have uh, missionally uh, to invest into our community and even invest back into to this place this place here. Um, and then the last third thing I, I want to celebrate too real quick is this, is man, what a week we've had here at the church. And what I mean by that is this, um, I just want to get a number check, uh, around 65 kids I believe here this, this, this summer um, starting out with our summer camp. So around 65 kids from kindergarten to eighth grade uh, have been a part um, that, and, and a ton, a ton of new kids that I have never seen before. Um, and so, just I, you don't have favorites, and no, not mine. But um, there was a little girl wearing a Dolly Parton shirt this week, and y'all, dang, girl from my heart right there. Um, but um, but no, I, I just think it's awesome because what that means is 65 kids got to hear the gospel this week. 65 kids got to uh, see what the love of Christ looks like, and so man, just just an amazing opportunity for us. Uh, as a church, uh, I mean, just, I, we just want to, we want to keep that before you always, just what God's doing and how he's working there uh, in, in that, that ministry uh, for us. And so, uh, super excited to see what he's going to do this summer. Um, so, th- this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, we're going to start in verse 2 in Corinthians 14, but, but just when you get there, just kind of hold it because we'll really start in Acts 2, and we'll just be there for a few minutes, then we'll flip back over to 1 Corinthians 14. But uh, 1 Corinthians 14, Acts chapter 2 is, is where we'll be. And so last week we just looked at, uh, at what prophecy is and isn't, and then I just challenged us, uh, for those of us who have that gift, to use it in a way that's going to honor God to build up His church. Um, and last week, what we said was this, is that prophecy isn't the kind of prophecy like what we see in the Old Testament. We, we don't believe that that's what that means. It's not the thus says the Lord uh, prophesying there. The prophecy uh, in our day is, is more spirit-prompted, spontaneous message that's delivered uh, to a person or community for edification and encouragement uh, in, in the Lord. And so it's not a, a thus says the Lord. It's not something new that God needs to say or God needs to, to tell us. He said everything that he's needed to say and done everything that he's needed to do in his son Jesus. And so um, a little bit different there as, as we define that. And then I just I challenged us as a people um, to, to, to use that gift that God has given us. 
Um, and I don't know about y'all, but, but what I got to see last week after we finished looking at the scriptures and talking, and then we, we, have, we have our altar, altar time if you want to come pray or if you want to um, just do business with the Lord. What, what I got to see uh, was us actually put into practice what was just preached. And the thing that blew me away and that I just marveled in was to see people moving around this place during the altar call, encouraging other people. Like I saw people go put their arms around other people and just, just, uh, just begin to just, just laugh and, and smile and encourage or cry. And it was, just, it, was just an, it was just an amazing time for me to be able to get to see us put into practice what was just proclaimed. And, and so for, for those that had that gift, for God just to direct them uh, to, just, to use that gift in a, in a loving way, to speak life in, into people, to build them up, to strengthen them and us as a church, and then even to add on to that, I come in this morning, and I get here early, and as I get here early, I like to kind of go through all my notes, make sure, kind of uh, just get settled and things like that. I walk in, uh, and there's a card on my desk, and, and so I open up the card, and it was just, it was this gift in practice there, uh, just an encouraging word, and, and so for me, as I've just worked through the scriptures this week, wrestled with some things, looked at some things, um, j- just to have a card on my desk saying, hey, praying for you, thank you for what you do. My family loves you. We're praying for you. Just wanted to encourage you. I mean, that's, just, that's the gift being used. Very much so. Um, and so I'm going to ask you to join me as we pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into what God's got for us this morning. So, so jo- join me as we pray. Father, again, we just thank you and praise you for this opportunity yet again to gather. Father, thank you for that freedom that's been given to us. Uh, God, I know that not everyone in our world today has that privilege. And so, Father, please help us not take for granted that. God, use this time to do exactly what you've, you've, you've said that you're going to. Uh, Father, I pray that, that as we sit here and as we hear your word proclaimed, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us to draw us closer to you, maybe to give us a better understanding of, of who you are, of your love, your mercy, your grace. And Father, if there be one here that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, may even the work of the Spirit be this morning to draw them, to woo them to you. And God, would you save? How amazing would that be? The miracle of death to life. So, so Father, have your way in this place. Help us understand. Help us have ears to hear. Father, help us live sacrificially for you and for the betterment of your church, for the building up of your body. Then we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so what I want to do this morning is simply this. I just want to define the gift of tongues and then look at the two types of tongues that I believe is mentioned here in the scripture. And then we'll look at some parameters around the gift of tongues. We'll look at that. So that's kind of the outline. That's where we'll be this morning. And so right out of the gate, we can just acknowledge that there are some things about God, some things about our faith and even gifts that maybe are difficult to understand and maybe even a little weird. Uh, maybe things that we, we just don't, we don't get. And I believe that the gift of tongues right here maybe, maybe can kind of fit in that area, kind of fit in, in that realm. And so uh, this morning, let's just breathe easy. It'll be all right. We'll, we'll get through this. We'll let the Holy Spirit lead us. And uh, we'll go to God's Word. And we're going to let God's Word dictate, as we always do, uh, what He means by what He said. Uh, let Him uh, navigate and direct us uh, as with every facet of life. What are we to be about? What are we to do? What are we to, 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 to look at? What are, how, do, how are we to live our lives? All of those type of things he has outlined and given us as his believers. And so we're just going to let God do what God does and his word uh, accomplish what he says that it'll accomplish. 
And so to do that, I want to just up front just kind of get some things out of the way because we do not believe in or buy into the Pentecostal historical teachings that you must speak in tongues to signify that you're filled with the Spirit or that you're born again. We don't see that in Scripture. We do not believe that at all. Uh, Nowhere is that outlined in the Scriptures that if you don't do this, then you're not a part of. Or if you do do this, then you are a part of. Nowhere do we see that. We know that, that, that salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone, and that's it. As a result of that, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And as we've seen in the Scriptures, as Paul's outlined to the church in Corinth, there are a number of gifts that are present and available for us as his, as his believers, as his children. And he gives gift or gifts to people however he chooses, however he Wills And so we do not believe that you, uh, if you don't speak in tongues, that you're not filled with the Spirit or that you're not born again. We, we do not believe that or see that way of thinking anywhere in the Scriptures. And so I'm, I'm just going to give a general definition of, of tongues. So here's, here's tongues defined. A Spirit-inspired utterance. A Spirit-inspired utterance. So it's a language inspired by the Holy Spirit given to a believer, and I'm going to define that more here in just a few moments, so, so, so just, just hang, hang tight with me for just a second, but, but that's, that's the way we would define that. Um, and so just to kind of help navigate us all the more as we look into this scripture, most of the information that we have about the gift of tongues is found here in the book of Corinthians, and what it is, is it's a rebuke for the wrong use of the gift. It's a rebuke to the church there at Corinth for the wrong use use of this gift. And so that's what we see happening here, a loving rebuke. Paul is correcting them. Paul is helping them understand in a better way because what we know from history and the context of this story that that this church here uh, was merging the old way of pagan living with the new man in Christ. And Paul writes to correct them. Uh, There's some things that they are struggling with, things that they think that they are doing really, really well in, and Paul writes to correct them that, no, that's not the case. And one of the things that was happening is there's a merge of the the old way pagan lifestyle uh, and and the new uh, lifestyle in Christ. And so uh, so let's let's just start to walk through the the first type of tongues. The first type of tongues is this, uh, missiological. What I mean by that is simply this. It's someone who doesn't know a language and they are supernaturally given that language so that others may hear and come to Jesus. So it's someone who does not know a language, a particular language, and supernaturally, by the Holy Spirit, they know and they, they speak that language so much so that in a way that glorifies and honors God, where the proclamation of the gospel can go forth, people hear, love, uh, hearts are opened, and, and they're rescued and redeemed. And so this, this is where I want us to look in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is what God's Word says. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So what we see here is this missiological use of tongues. This is supernatural imposing of a language uh, uh, that, that, that a believer gets from the Holy Spirit. 
And so these tongues are the language of the people that are gathered there from the different areas with different languages. They're hearing it in their own language. They're hearing it uh, spoken in their own tongue. And it says even they're, they're bewildered by it. They're, they're just blown away by it because they're hearing them speak in their own language. Men that didn't know that language, that didn't have that background, that didn't have that understanding. So it would be like this. Um, I've had the opportunity uh, to go on a mission trip to, uh, to Mexico. I've been, I've been twice uh, in, in my life. Um, and love going uh, down there to Mexico, uh, Juarez, right across the border at El Paso. And so we'll go in and we get to, uh, we, we've ministered to the people there. There's this mission organization uh, that, that we get to go and just, um, uh, like I said, love on the community. And we usually go and we, we build a house. And when I say a house, it's like a 10 by 10 little hut type thing that um, concrete floor, uh, stucco walls, uh, and, and a roof on it. And so that, that's, that's the extent of it. And so we get to go and we get to just love on these people and I've been to, to a couple other little countries like that where we've had the opportunity to serve. Um, and so it would be like me going to that country, going on that mission trip, and when I get there, I am able to speak their language. Now, if you know me, there, there are some things about me that you need to understand. I struggle with English. Um, so me knowing a second language, I don't. I, I, took, um, I took French in high school. Bonjour. Yeah. I mean, I just like memorize those. I don't even know what I'm saying. Hey, I think I speak French. Je m'appelle Eric. That's my first name, Eric. So Je m'appelle. That's how I had to do it in 12th grade. I took that class because they were having crepes. I saw that on the syllabus. There's crepes. And I like, I like food. So I'm like, I'm in. This has got to be cool. Let's do this. Um, and there was a chance to go on a trip to France. I, I didn't do that. But um, so anyways. I go to college. When I'm in college, uh, I'm going the biblical route, uh, pastoral route. And so with that, it's encouraged uh, a foreign language, but that language is Greek and Hebrew. That's what they want you to take. Um, and so, so I did that. I, know, I don't know it. I can't, it's a dead language. So you don't speak it. But, um, uh, but, I, but I don't know if to be dangerous is, is what I'm saying there. I know, I know kind of how to look up and find out and figure out things like that. Um, so for me, I know no other language. And so it'd be like me going on, on a mission trip to a country that speaks, uh, let's just use Mexico like that, speaks Spanish. And I get there. And, and so my Spanish right now consists of four or five words. I can get to the bathroom and order me a burrito. And I know one phrase, mi casa su casa, which is never good to be said in the orphanage with the little kids because they think they get to come home with you now. Not a good experience, not a good, not a good thing. So I, I, so I don't have that. I don't, I don't have this gift. I don't, I don't have that. And so what Paul, or what we see here in Acts 2, is, is that's the form of the gift being used here. The Holy Spirit pours out upon them this ability to be able to, to speak a language that they don't know. A, a language that's a real language to be understood and to be heard. And the purpose of it is to proclaim the gospel. That's what we see happen here at Pentecost. And so that type of tongues is one I believe that we can get excited about. Man, I don't know about you, but I mean, I've prayed for that. Like, like when, I, when I go out of the country on a mission trip like that, you've got to help me speak that language. Give it to me. And I'll even try. And it's not there. And they know that it's not there. Because whenever I, just because you put L in front of everything that you say does not make it Spanish. It doesn't. It doesn't work. And in my little head, and my little brain thinking, okay, this might do it. No, that's not it. So I haven't got it. I haven't been given that. But, but, but how cool would that be able just to speak a language that you didn't previously know, that you didn't previously have? 
And how awesome to have that ability to take the Gospels to the nation in that way. In that way. And so this is the type of tongues that, that Paul's talking about uh, here, as well as we'll see kind of uh, dispersed in here another type. And the other type is simply this, is some type of a prayer language. Some type of a prayer language. So 1 Corinthians 14.2, this, this is what it says. This is what it says. It says, uh, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And then on the other hand, verse 3, uh, the one who prophesies speaks of people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so this gift has something to do with intimacy with God. That's all we know from the text. That's what we see. And so what do we know to be true so far? Paul has been doing what? Banging on the drum of building up the body, building up the body building up the body. And then he gets to tongues, and what does he say? It builds up the person and not the body. That's what he's saying here. Is that it's, that there's, there's something happens in the heart of the one uh, uh, praying to God in that form, in that way. Something happens, some sort of, of intimacy there, and he's, he's going to kind of unpack that a little bit here in a little bit, and, and, and we'll see that here in a few minutes. But, but that's what he's talking about. So, so let's jump down to, to 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 6. He says this, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in a tongue, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So, so what Paul's saying here is this, is, is how is it any use to, to you or to the church here at Corinth if I just begin to speak in a tongue to you? Some random tongue. Because we know that gifts are what? For building up of the body, for education of the body. And if he just speaks to them in some sort of a tongue or some sort of a language that no one knows... What benefit is that? What good is that? What is it doing? And then what Paul's going to do here in verse 7, he's going to kind of illustrate that meaning a little bit deeper. Verse 7, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's being played? And if the bugle gives an uh, indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is intelligible, how will anyone know what's being said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. See, what Paul's saying and making mention of here is that there's a specific use that brings with it a specific purpose in accomplishing something. And if you speak a tongue and it's, there's none of that, then, then, then what's the use? What's, what's it for? Like, like the bugle. The bugle sounds why? Uh, to ready for war, to retreat from war. Uh, there's a purpose for the bugle. There's a purpose for the flute. There's a purpose for instruments. What? When, you, when you just blow on those instruments with, with no purpose or, 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 or no formation of anything, then it just makes a noise in it. And what does that noise do? Uh, okay, I'll tell you exactly what that noise does. Because I've got a six-year-old at the house right now who thinks that he can play drums and guitar. He's, he's coming for this position one day, so he thinks. And he's ready now, he thinks. I won't put y'all through that. Um, but, but no, he, like, he'll get it. And like, we've got like, this little crawling thing that, that, our, that our littlest, that'll be two, he, he can crawls on it. And it's got like, this little platform. And he'll get up there on it, and like, he'll, he'll, have the, he'll have the little guitar thing, and he's just going to town. And it is the... Worst, best sound that you've ever heard in your entire life. You know what I'm saying? And I can only usually last maybe like two minutes of a worship session with a kid. And then we, we got, let's, do, let's do something else. 
what Paul's saying is, is, is that's what it's like. You're speaking in the air. There's languages with meaning. Why would we do that? Verse 11 says, but, but, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So, so, so what Paul's saying is this, is that, is that tongues used in a wrong way is like an instrument that makes no distinct sound, no, no right note. And if, if one speaks a language no one knows, what good is it for those that's present in there? It's just a sound. And what does it do? It, it can confuse. It can frustrate. It can alienate. And so why, why would you do that? Why would they do that? And so he goes on in verse 12. He says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Now, I want, to, I want to read that verse again because I believe everything hinges on this. Everything that we have learned and that we have come to understand about spiritual gifts so far from the book of, of 1 Corinthians here, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, uh, I, I believe that this, this right here is a, a very big uh, uh, um, hinging point on that. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. So the church at Corinth, they wanted spiritual gifts. They wanted to, uh, uh, to, to experience those, to walk in those, to have those. And so this, since there's this longing and this urging, this, this wanting, uh, this manifestation of the Spirit, the Spirit to be uh, uh, known in your life, the Spirit to, to gift you, the Spirit to use you, the Spirit to work in your life. And that, that's a good thing. We saw that uh, last week. We saw that throughout the book of Corinthians here. We, we should long for gifts. We should eagerly seek those gifts. We should pray for those gifts. We should do all of those things. And he's just reminding of that. Since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, for the Spirit to be made known, for the Spirit to work, for the Spirit to do, for the Spirit to give. He says this, strive to excel in the building up of the church. No matter what the gift that you're given or gifts that you're given, the heart behind that is this. The thing that we should be good at, church, the, the thing that the Spirit should do in us greater than anything else it is for us to live this out, excel, be very, very good at, uh, uh, be, be uh, very intentional in the building up of the church. Building up of the church. Well, we see this truth woven throughout chapters 12, 13, and 14, do we not? Build the church up, he says. Build the church up. Build the church up. Build the church up. That's what he says, and I think that's evidence of the Spirit in you. Is that is that you is that with your gift, with with the Spirit being made known in you, you're building up the church. Now, who's the church? The church is people, right? We're the church. This building is just a building: wood, brick, mortar, roofing, um, sheetrock, pipes, those type of things. We're not building this up. We're building us up. The followers, the bride, the adopted men and women of God. And so I just, I just want to chat for a second because I, the gift of discouragement is not a good thing or something to be proud of. I, I don't believe it's a gift at all. I believe it's part of the curse, part of the fall. I like to think for a second that, that man, I showed them with just one remark or I just cut them down or I just had a sly thing and I just, I just put them in the ground. Like, like, that's not a good quality. Like, like that's, not a, that's not something to be celebrated. I mean, constant criticism or critiquing everything always, that, that's not good. 
that's, that's not a good thing. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that, is that if, if, if there's anything that you and I should strive for, should long for, should hope for, should want to be accomplished, should want to be really, really good at, it's the building up of the church, it's the building up of the people. That's what we should strive for. So, so let me just ask this. Do you build up or do you tear down? Do you build up or do you tear down? Maybe another way to ask it is this. Do you critique more than you celebrate? Do you critique more than you celebrate? And if so, because I don't think critique's bad. I don't think having an opinion about something's bad. If done in the right way, if done in a loving way. But if you critique more than you celebrate, what solution might you offer and begin to implement? Because it's fine to be able to see things with a critical eye. There's nothing wrong with that at all. If you're ready to step in and walk through the process that it takes to help see things get better. To always just point out all the bad, always, that's not a gift. That's not a good thing. And bring a solution with it. Bring a willing heart to be able to step in and, and, and fill, fill a problem or fill the issue or, or, or be a part of the solution. So do you critique more than you celebrate? Or, or maybe like this, who in the family of faith have you encouraged today, this week, last week, last month? Uh, I mean, who? who? Who have you encouraged? Who have you built up? Who have you uh, uh, excelled in in building up of, of the body? Because church, what I know is this, is that the world is going to do all it can to tear down and discourage. Is it not? The world is just looking for one of us to slip up, to mess up, to make a, a mockery out of, to make an example out of it. It's going to tear down and beat down and discourage. But we, the church, need to know. We don't need to. We must do a better job of building up rather than tearing down. Complimenting rather than critiquing. We've got to. We have to. We should be the most encouraging, uplifting, building up type of people on the planet. We should be, well, because that's what the Spirit does in us. And I'm not saying that we don't critique, we don't assess, we don't work harder, do better. But with that has to come encouragement and building up. Has to, because that's the work of the Spirit in us through the gifts. Verse 13, he goes on and says this. He says, therefore, after all things that he just said, he says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may uh, interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what Paul just said is this, is that the spirit of the one who speaks in a tongue is being engaged in a way that the mind isn't. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means. But that's what he says is happening. That's what he says is taking place. One that prays in that tongue, that the spirit is being engaged in a way that the mind isn't. And he goes on verse 15, he says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks to your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? To, to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So the person that's speaking in the tongue, that's praying in the tongue, they don't even understand what, what it is, what they're saying, and neither does their hear. See, the other gifts, what happens is we build up, we encourage we encourage the body as well as others with the gift. But this gift is for that person and for God. 
In verse 18, look at what he says. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I mean, only Apostle Paul can get away with saying something like that, can he? I mean, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all. Well, why would he say that? I think he does that for, for, for one reason. is to try to humble them. Because look at what he says next in verse 19. He says, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I would rather speak five words, he says, that, that would benefit and profit the body than, than 10,000 words in a tongue that nobody gets or understands, that, that nobody can follow along with, that nobody can comprehend. Uh, th- that's what he says. And so what we know here is that the church in Corinth, they had elevated certain gifts, and especially the gifts of tongues, into a place that it was never meant to be. They were using it in a way that was never meant to be. And Paul, what he's doing, he's trying to get them to see that it's better to speak language that people understand and get than something that nobody gets, nobody understands, that does no building up. And so, so what do those that use this gift wrongly hope to accomplish? See, that's what he's going at the heart of here. Those that would elevate it, those that would make it something that it's not, those that would, would use it in a way that is harmful. What are you hoping to accomplish? So we've got to be very, very careful because in church, as a follower of Christ, it's very, very easy to take the spotlight off the one that it belongs on. And so for us as the body, we will always, always, always play second chair. Always. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how great we think we are, no matter what kind of gift we think we've got, we will always, always, always play second. Do you know what the main attraction here at New Life is? Jesus. It'll never be the guy that stands on the stage. It'll never be the person standing in the lobby. It'll never be the teacher that teaches a small group. The main attraction that will, as long as I'm the guy that's here, that God allows me to be here, the main attraction will always be that of Jesus. Because if it ever becomes anything else, when the next best thing moves into town, you're gone. And if Jesus is not enough to get you and keep you, then what we have never will be. So the main attraction here at this church is always going to be that of Jesus. Always going to be that of Jesus. Not of a person, not of a personality, not of an ego, none of those things. And God has been so gracious to me to put people in my life that, that, that help squash that because like, like nobody in this room likes me the way that I like me. I'm just saying. You laugh at that, but you're the same way. Nobody in this room loves you as much as you love yourself. Nobody in this room thinks of you as highly as you do of yourself. I'm the same way. Let's just be honest. I mean, we like us, do we not? And what has our culture, what has our world done? It's just, it continues to build that up, does it not? I mean, social media, news, commercials, all of those things are doing what? They're, they're feeding into the me mentality. What I need, what I like, this will make me happy. This is what will, will make me grounded. This is what will give me purpose. This is what will, and we run and look after everything else, all the while sidestepping what God's already said. You want purpose? I've got it. You want meaning? I got it. You want a direction? I've got it. You want to feel fulfilled? I've got it. You got to need it. It's Jesus. Not stuff, not things, not accolades. So, the one that we're always going to point back to is going to be that of Jesus. And so, the gift used wrongly hopes to accomplish. Look at me. See how spiritual and far along I am, which really in turn would do what? Point to the fact that they're not. They're not as far along as they think they are. Because what I've learned in the people that I've been around that is, that is the most spiritual mature, 
are the ones that say, man, I still got miles to go. I don't have a clue. I thought that I knew. Like, like, I knew the most whenever I first came out of college. And then I got thrown into the real world, into the church world. And I found out really, really quick all the cute, nice, neat stuff that I thought that I knew that I didn't have a clue about. All, all, all the real life experience that I thought that, that, that you were taught. that you, Man, how God uses to humble and cause dependency. And so what Paul is saying, if that's the heart, if that's the thought, if you try to merge these two lifestyles together, if you try to uh, uh, make something of uppermost other than Christ, it's wrong. And so spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit from God for His people for the building up of the body. And hear me, we have nothing to brag about. Nothing to brag about. It's not our doing. I didn't ask to have the gift of teaching and preaching. Trust me, I, I mean, in that list, there's some other cool ones that I would like to have. And I've prayed that he would give me, but he is not. He says, dude, you study and preach. I'll take care of the rest. Why? Because I've got a whole body out there of people who've got gifts that I want to use that I need to plug into places. That's what he tells me. That's what he says. I have gifted you with a few things. You work on doing those few things that I've gifted you in. You follow me in those things and let me uh, do what I need to do. And so we have nothing to brag about. Trust me, if I could get rid of one, compassion right now would be out the window, which you probably wouldn't be able to stand me. Because if I'm the biggest fan of me and I don't have compassion, or you come to me to tell me about your story, that's going to flip really, really quick. I'm going to want to tell you about my story. But no, because God has gifted me with that gift for a specific purpose. Why? Because I know I'll go the distance with you. Like, like you can use, ah, I'm just sharing it all right now, aren't I? You can use me and abuse me. And I'm going to be right there with you no matter what. You can cut me down, you can tear me up, you can, and for whatever reason, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back, just hang tight, I'll be there. And I beg God take that. And he wouldn't, and he hasn't. And I think it's because he wants to keep me humble, and he wants to remind me, man, how can you tell them, how can you walk with them if you, if you can't empathize with them? How, Scott? So it's God that gives the gifts. I've got nothing to brag about. You've got nothing to brag about. We've got, if there's anyone to brag on, it's God. He's the one that gives the gifts. So it goes on in verse 20. He says this. He says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And so, so what Paul's saying here is don't stoop to the level of thinking that you're something because of the gift or gifts that you have. Don't be infantile in that. Don't elevate or, or try to make it about you or about something like that. He's like, don't do, if you're going to do anything, be, be infants in evil, wrongdoing, doing that's, that, that's, that's contrary to God. He says, but in your thinking, be mature. Verse 21 says, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in a tongue and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? See what the, the Apostle Paul is saying here again is this, is that we have to have a heart and a desire to draw and point people to Jesus. And what we do with the use of our gifts needs to resemble that, needs to show that. 
needs to have the heart of the one who's given the gift. Verse 24 says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So church, what I've seen and what I've experienced in my life is this, is that a gift used out of love in the way that it was intended will do, will do a few things. It will convict and it will draw people to the heart of God. As what was talked about a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 13, a, a gift used out of a pure heart, pure motive, uh, uh, encapsulated with love, with the desire in the heart of the building up of the other person, that will draw people to God. It's the kindness and goodness of God that draws people, is it not? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Verse 26, he says, What, what then, brothers? When you, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. There, there it is again. Everything that we do, when we come together, it's for the building up of us, for making much of Jesus. It's, it's for the building up of the church. When we, when we disperse and when we go, our gifts are to be used for what? The building up. The building up. We see that woven throughout all of this. The gifts are to be used to build up. And so in verse 27, it says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and, in, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So what Paul does here is he gives us some parameters, and this is what he says. He says this. He says, two or three persons in a service at most. In turn, one at a time, interpretation. So the crazy outburst, the, 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 uh, the unordinary uh, uh, just outburst and craziness, that, that's not biblical. Uh, that's not, and we're going to see that even more so here in a second. It's not just some emotional ride that we jump on and we take. Yes, we are emotional people, and yes, we will be emotional. But that's not necessarily the Holy Spirit working and doing. That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching there. That's what he is saying there. And so Paul, what he's going to do is he's going to go on, and in verses 29 through 32, he's going to say this. He's going to talk about prophecy and it being proclaimed and how it's to be tested. That's what he's going to say. That's what he's going to do. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to close with this. So as the band comes back up, I want to to just close here with a couple of these verses at the end of 1 Corinthians 14 that I believe will help show and outline all the more the heart of God and the heart for his church and for his people, the heart for his gathering. So verse 33, 1 Corinthians 14 says this. It says, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, there may be things that we don't understand. There may be things that we don't fully grasp and get. As we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, we look dimly in a mirror right now. But, but he is not a God of confusion. He, he's a God of peace. That's who he is. And in verse 39, he says this. He says, so, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. All things should be done decently and in order. So Paul encourages the church here at Corinth to desire prophecy, to desire the gifts, not to forbid speaking in tongues. But everything is to be done decently and in order. 
everything. I, 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 and I think I shared this story with you earlier on in the series, but I can remember going to a church as a kid and just out of high school. Felt called to ministry, and a church found out about it and asked me to come speak. And at that time, like, I would, I would go anywhere. I just want to tell people about Jesus, so I didn't care. I would go, and I got myself into some places, you know what I'm saying? I was just hungry to tell people about Jesus, and I didn't care. And so I went to this church, this little Pentecostal church. I mean, we West Virginians, it was like backwoods up in the holler. Like, you don't have hollers here like we have hollers there. Like, it was up in the holler. So we, I go up in the holler, barely get cell phone service. I have to go, like, on top of the hill to get cell phone service. And so I'm in there, and, um, and man, that first night, it's like a youth lock-in. I'm like, okay, this is right up my alley. I, I, I can handle this. We can do this. I'd heard stories. I've, I've never experienced it myself. And so I, I get there, and as I get there, they're, they're, uh, the, the, the guy that was speaking that night was a lot more livelier than I was. And I'm thinking, okay, God, what are you doing? What, uh, what, what's happening? And I kind of sat in the back and just kind of watched and saw things. And at the end, there was this altar call. And, and I can remember one little girl coming down, and she began to pray. And as she did, I mean, she was just flocked by these women. And I hear this just rumbling of something. And I, had no, I, mean, I don't know what they're saying, so I kind of, I'm like, maybe I need to go pray. Find out what's going on. But then what if they swore me? And so like all this stuff's running through my head, and, and I had never, never been a part of something like that, never heard something like that before. And so I can remember just kind of getting a little wigged out by it, so much so that I go to the bathroom after the, after the service, and I'm like, like, listen, Mayor, if I text you, SOS, you call, and I need to get home immediately, you hear me? huh? I said, no, no, no. You make something up, boo. God will forgive us. We will work through this. It'll... I said, you get me out of here. I had no idea. I didn't know what was happening. I had no clue. And the more that I've read through and I've seen, I mean, that's, that's not the practice of that gift. Not the practice. I mean, me as a believer now, I don't know if I'd be considered a mature believer at the ripe old age of 18, 19, but, but I was someone who was pursuing and what that did in my heart and in my spirit, the confusion that it caused in me. And so then whenever I read and I look and I see here in, in Corinthians, I see that, that that's not biblical. That, that, was not, that was not the work of God there in that moment in that place. And so, so that's my experience with it. And so what I've learned and what I have seen is this, is that our worship as God's people what it needs to do is reflect his nature and character. It, it needs to point to his heart. It needs to show and proclaim. And, and what do we know about God's heart? God's heart is for peace. It's for harmony. It's for order. It's for clarity. Not strife and confusion. That's what he just said. He is for his body, the church, to be encouraged and to be built up. So we must use our gift, the gifts that he has given us, to do that. So why would we do a series through spiritual gifts? Or why would we talk about these things? One, one so that we would understand and know that God is the giver of good gifts. And so what blows my mind and what I've never been able to get over is the fact that he would send his son Jesus. The greatest gift that we'll ever give, get, is Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He continues to give gifts. And I'm not talking about blessings. I'm not talking about monetary stuff. I'm talking about the fact that after he would save us and rescue us, he would gift us with certain gifts for the building up of his body. Why? To be invited in to play. To be invited in to be a part of who he is and what he's doing globally in this world for his glory and his great name. I mean, have you thought about that? That he wants you to be a part of what he's doing in the local congregation. That he doesn't want you just to church hop. 
But he doesn't want you just to kind of drop in and out and kind of do your thing. Maybe throw some, uh, some dollars in the plate and leave and not seek it. He doesn't want you to take the summer off. That's not his desire at all. But his desire is that you would get involved, that you would be a part. Why? Because he's, if you are a believer, if you honest to goodness have been born again, you've got a gift or gifts. And you're vital to the body. You're vital to what could happen in this world for his glory, for his great name. Man, we get to play a part in seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is nothing, nothing greater that you'll ever get to experience or be a part of as being a part of the body. I mean, I've had three kids. Okay, I haven't. I've been a part of seeing three kids born. I've cut the cord. I've done this. I mean, amazing phenomenal. The most glorious yet terrifying thing I've ever been a part of. And it pales in comparison to see someone cross from death to life. Pales. I mean, I've an amazing wife, amazing family. I've, I've played sports. I've won trophies. I've, I've, I've done stuff. I mean, and it fails in comparison to being part of the body and seeing God use little old insignificant me to accomplish something far greater than I could ever imagine, I could ever dream of. So why? Why spiritual gifts? That's it. We talked about discipleship for months and months and months. Got to Easter, and we followed it up with some spiritual gifts. Because if you are a born-again believer in this place or tuning in online and you hear this, God has gifted you with gifts for the building up of his body. And if you don't use those gifts, it's sin on your part. I love you enough to say the truth. Quit hoarding. Quit robbing the church of what she could be. Quit being selfish. Quit making it about you. Let God use you for the building up, for the encouragement. The encouragement. Do you know what people in this room are going through? What they're facing, what they've battled this week? I mean, to see last week men and women move about this room and encourage and hug one another and swap snot and tear. I mean, that's a glorious picture of what the church is like. That's what draws people to this place. That's what draws people to our Savior. Not the fact that we can tear each other down. You mean to tell me they read from that version? You mean to tell me they, they do that? Or you mean to tell me that they go there? You mean to tell me that, that they believe that? Or that they dress like this? Or they do that? Or they? Are you kidding me? Who do they proclaim and lift high? What's the closed hand of things that they're about? Yes, we, we can debate and talk there, but, but, but let's let that be it. Let the driving force behind everything we do be Jesus in the building up of the body. So I guess my encouragement for you would be this. I mean, there's a need. There's a purpose for you. Every single one of you who are born-again believers in this room or apart or been visiting or been coming for a while, there's a need and purpose for you, for your gifts to be used. Don't shortchange yourself. Don't think less of yourself than you should. Don't do it. God has gifted and given you that for that purpose. And I would encourage you to join in and be a part. Join in and be a part. We've got Vacation Bible School coming up where we'll have kids on campus after hours of the after school where we'll get to love one and share the stories of Jesus with. We've got youth here that, that need people to, to plug in and walk with them and encourage them. We've got college students that, that need that. We, we, we've, got, we've got all kinds of possibilities and opportunities for us to serve and give our life away for the building up of his body. And I would beg of you, 
don't shortchange yourself. Do not shortchange yourself. So I don't know what God's spoken. I don't know what He said to your heart. But I with, and I believe all the authority of the Scriptures would say, jump in and be a part. Jump in and be a part. Help us be and accomplish all that God would have of us. In this place, in this community, and in this world. He did it with 12 men, y'all. And if you know anything about men, we are hard-headed and difficult. And he did it. Imagine what he could do with us. Father, help us this morning, in this moment, in this place, hear your voice. Father, again, if there's one here that don't know you as Lord and Savior, and when I talk about gifts, they're like, they have no clue. Like, what, God, I just pray that maybe this morning would be the morning that they come to faith in you and they begin to walk out and see what that gift would be. And Father, if there's someone on the fence here this morning about, uh, about diving in and serving and giving their life away, Father, you have given them a gift to be used for the uplifting and building of your body. And so, Father, I pray that they would just hear. God, I pray the Holy Spirit would, would lay heavy on the hearts of men and women here in this place and online. And Father, I just pray that you would work and that you would move and that you would do like only you can. Jesus, speak and make your presence known. Father, I thank you and I praise you for the gift of salvation and for the spiritual gifts that you give us. Help us be submitted and obedient in that for your glory, the building of your church. And we pray, amen. So Matt and Hannah are going to lead us this morning in a time of response. And I just want to encourage you like I did last You come down here and pray. Maybe for you it means you go encourage somebody. Somebody's just been on your heart this week or something has just happened and just stirred in you. And you just need to go to somebody. You just need to hug their neck and say, I love you, and just pray for them. Or just want to say, man, I saw you did it, and you're so awesome at this. Or, or maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you want to come pray for a little bit. Just ask God, God, reveal to me what that gift is. God, help me have, have the boldness to step out. Whatever it is, you be obedient. Or if you need to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I'll be down here. Jimmy will be here. We'd love to talk more about what that means and what that looks like. You be obedient to the Father in this moment.